with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Our stories include: China's economy grew by 2.5 percent in the first half of this year, and a UN report says global population growth fell below 1 percent in the year 2020. And now, let's begin with our top story. Official data shows that China's economy grew by 2.5 percent in the first half of this year. And the GDP expanded by 0.4 percent in the second quarter from a year earlier. So, with the numbers in, how did the Chinese economy perform in the first half of this year? And what are the main economic challenges China is facing? For more on this, join us on the line now are Dr. Yao Shujie, Chang Kang Professor of Economics at Chongqing University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, first of all, China's economy has seen a 2.5 percent growth in the first half of this year. So, Shujie, what is your analysis on this, and how has the geopolitical tensions, the COVID-19, and other factors impacted the economy? I think it's mainly the COVID-19 which had, which have the hardest hit, particularly uh, in Shanghai and a number of other important cities, which are the economy powerhouses of the Chinese economy. And also the disruption of the service industry, transportation, tourism,、uh, catering,、uh, people's movement—all these contributed to a significant negative growth in the service industry, which nowadays accounted a significant proportion of the national output. And because the service industry is highly disrupted by the、uh, pandemic, that is、uh, contributing to a significantly Decline in the growth rate in the second quarter, which is only 0.4 percent, which is、uh, much lower than my earlier prediction of one plus percentage.、Uh, the first quarter was also a little bit、uh, not so high. 4.8 percent was below expectation. So in aggregate, it's a、uh, 2.5 percent. I think on on average, I think China in the first quarter. Uh, potentially lost about three percentage points of GDP growth、mm. due to the the pandemic and also other factor may kick in in terms of the supply of energy and also the price rise in hitting the consumer demand and so on so forth. Mm, well, Ina, actually, as Shujie mentioned, in quarter two, the downward pressure on China's economy increased due to a surge of COVID-19 in some major cities, and we see the GDP grow by 0.4 percent in the second quarter compared with a 4.8 percent in the first quarter. So, how do you see this figure, and has the economy bottomed out in the second quarter? It all depends on、uh, COVID-19. Long-term、uh, global recession will affect. China, in some ways,、uh, better than other countries in the sense that China has a large installed base of production. That means that it's able to continue doing this. So, Shujie, let's break down for the economy. The retail sales, a main gauge of consumption, dropped by 4.6 percent in quarter two, but retail sales went up 
uh, 3.1% in June. So what signal does it send? And the government has introduced measures to boost consumption, especially the stimulus on the auto sector. So how soon will all this you know, take effect? And how do you look at the consumption trend in the latter half of the year? Well, I think the consumption uh, is not equal to uh, the service industry. Uh, it, it's a different concept. The service industry is actually uh, still a production industry, like uh, transportation, uh, tourism, uh, catering, and, and hotel services, and so on and so forth. Now, as long as the, the pandemic is not entirely brought under control, as long as the pandemic still threatens the, the people's life and health, I think the service industry will still endure uh, significant uh, pressure. But the, the figure in, in, in June indicates there are some uh, bottom out uh, to a better positive uh, territory. Now, regarding the consumption, I think consumption is more or less related to people's income and employment. So if the people in the service industry suffer, I think the consumption ability is, is, is reduced. Uh, now, what the government is trying to do is number one to uh, you know to support employment, particularly the medium, medium and micro uh, enterprises, so that uh, employment will be maintained, so that people have some money to spend. The second point is to uh, you know stimulate uh, the consumption of some product, for example, like the automobile. But automobiles uh, have you know is important, but it's not everything. There are some other things uh, that the government can also help. For example, like uh, providing you know timely support to the people who are in financial stress and also the enterprises who are in difficulty. So this would help. But but the fundamental thing is that you you got to have full employment, have full mobility, have full uh, recovery or exemption of the service and production activity, which remains, still remains a challenge to me. Uh, but the second half, the second half uh, from July, it, it seems that it will be better. Uh, but as, as we know, the, the, you know the, the, the ability to control COVID-19, particularly the cases imported from abroad, uh, is still a, a real threat in how how the government at the central level as well as the local level to manage, you know, both economic activity and also the control of the pandemic, uh, reducing the effect of the pandemic to a minimum and also encouraging production to a better potential. I think it is the two uh, sides of the coin in the second half of the year. Mm. Uh, at the moment, I think it is, uh, for me, it's encouraging, but to get full recovery, is still a big problem. And we've seen the State Council unveiling a series of measures to support the economy. They cover so many areas, the fiscal and monetary policies, stabilizing investment, promoting consumption, etc., etc. So, Shujie, how soon can we see the effect? And when will this trickle down to the economy? Well, the effect is already evolving. I mean, you can see that the recovery of economic activity in June and also in July, it's pretty active. So part of these activities are certainly have been triggered uh, by the central and local government to increase liquidity, to ease the constraint on credit or, or bank uh, banking borrowing and so on and so forth. You can see the figure 
of the bank loan is particularly high. It's almost, uh, you know, nearly two trillion. There may be of bank loans in in last month. So uh, this means that the 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 government financial and monetary policy is already uh, playing a very important role in revitalizing uh, the economy activities. Mm. But um, but certainly the the policy have to be more precise. Have to be more targeted and downward to the to to the to the enterprises, which are desperately in need, particularly micro and also the individual, uh, you know, family uh, enterprises. Mm. Those are in real difficulty, and the financial support have to go down there. And Ina, so we've seen the foreign trade is better than expected, and in the first half of this year, the imports and exports jumped by nine point four percent. So. What do you think are some of the main reasons of that? Well, uh, quite frankly, it's because of the, uh, the global supply chain. I mean, China is the major supplier of intermediate goods. If you want to run your economy, you need things from China. So and this is why uh, Li said, look, we're going to be betting initially on this export trade because we have the largest salt base. Uh, quite frankly, you have the most efficient base, lowest cost base. So that's um, you know, what they're saying will help the economy reach this kind of dual circulation strategy where there's enough economic activity at the local level to support it. But I completely agree with Professor Young. The situation is about uh, you know, the ability to have wages, excess uh, income, jobs, and the kind of economic activity where people have confidence. Uh, that is the real holy grail here. So that's why they're putting so much effort into small, medium-sized business enterprises. They're the ones who create 90% of the jobs, uh, 80% of the existing employment, more than half of the, uh, much more than half of the GDP. So this is where the government is concentrating on. It's just it's very difficult because you know the, the current status in, in, in China is that the banks and financial institutions are very good about lending on assets, but not on risk. So they're trying to change that equation. Uh, at a, you know, it's a difficult uh, task, but they are doing it. Uh, many other countries are not responding to the situation. So mm-hmm. China will continue to do better relative to many other countries. Mm. So, Shujie, what do you think about the outlook for the year foreign trade in the rest of the year? First of all, I I, I follow uh, in a in a uh, point. I think the. And international trade for China is uh, doing very well in the first half, uh, particularly in June. I think the the export measure in Germany increased by seven seventeen point nine percent. This indicator alone means that the Chinese, uh, you know, export industry is robust and also very resilient to the external shock. But it also reflects also the economy recovery, the increasing demand for Chinese goods and services. Uh, so this is uh, very encouraging, and based on this, uh, you know, statistics in the first six months, I expect that the second half of the year may may not be able to maintain, you know, this high level of growth, but it will certainly maintain a very uh, significant growth. So the the whole the whole year, I think, export and also uh, import, you know, in total, they would contribute a significant component to 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 sustain the certain degree of economic growth so it's part of the the three pillar of the chinese economy to make sure that the supply chain the production chain 
also the creation of job uh, for the whole country. I think this is very important contribution. So I'm very encouraged by the statistic, and I also are very positive for the rest of the year. Mm. And so, Shujie, you mentioned the three pillars of China's uh, economy. What do you think will be the role of the infrastructure spending in China's economy this year around? And do you see potential for the new infrastructure investment? The infrastructure is always a, a, a significant figure of the Chinese uh, in, you know, market economy with so- socialist characteristics. When the Chinese economy is in a downward pressure, I think the central government and plus the regional government, they were able to mobilize resources to accelerate the construction of the infrastructure industry. In the short term, I think it boosts the confidence, it provides stability for the national economy to maintain a certain dynamism and momentum of economic growth. And in the longer term, I think the infrastructure would lay a better foundation for the next stage of economic development. So this is why, uh, you know, my colleague Engen just saying that China is actually doing much better than many major economies in the world. Not only the government is able to channel uh, financial support to the enterprises, but also the central government and regional government is able to sustain and increase the, uh, you know, the speed of infrastructure development. I think this is very important. This is the, uh, you know, the basic foundation of the Chinese economy, not only in the short term, but also in the short, uh, the longer term, to sustain, uh, you know, economic growth. Mm. And this is this is why China is very different from other economy. Mm. And I know so we've seen China's value-added industrial output went up 3.4% in the first half of this year. So tell us, what are those new emerging industries here in China and what are their prospects of the development? Well, it's, uh, I mean, there's some services, but they're related uh, more to uh, technological developments within China. I mean, with 5G, 6G, um, developmental resources, setting new standards and things like that. But uh, right now, I think the story is mostly about uh, existing capacity. Uh, when you have the factory there, it's you can continue um, producing. And if you built that factory ten, you know, four, four or five, ten years ago, you have that lower base. Whereas anybody who's trying to go into your industry is going to have to spend money. They're going to, it's going to be more expensive because of inflation, et cetera. So they don't have that advantage. So right now, I think it's about not only the installed base, but also China has been pushing very, very heavily on making all of its industries more efficient. They're talking about power. They're talking about computation. Uh, they're talking about less labor costs in terms of going to robotics. This is very, very important because as China's uh, installed industrial base becomes more efficient, it can therefore offer its services and products at much lower prices. And mm-hmm. in the end, especially when you're facing a, a worldwide recession or perhaps depression, price is king. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Yao Shujie, Chang Kang Professor of Economics at Chongqing University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at global population issue. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come.
You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. A UN report says the global population growth fell below one percent in the year 2020 for the first time since 1950. The UN World Population Prospects report suggests that the population of 61 countries will decrease by at least one percent between this year and the year 2050, and low fertility rates combined with better healthcare will exacerbate the aging of Societies. Despite the slowing growth, the report says the global population will reach eight billion this year. India should surpass China as the most populous country next year. So, Shujie, first of all, what are some of the main reasons for today's low birth rate globally? Well, the the low the low birth rate is due to、um, a number of factors. First of all, the the you know the industrialized economy. Particularly, the developed economy in the OECD countries, where the population have been enduring a fairly slow growth or even negative growth for many decades. Now, the second、uh, component is the emerging economies, such as China, India, and also some other industrializing economies, where they used to be、uh, the major contributor of population、uh, increment. And nowadays,、uh, especially the the Chinese. Especially China is the most populous country in the world for the last four decades. The population growth rate has been declining steadily, so they,、uh, you know, contribute to the slow growth of the of the global population. Even in India,、uh, India's population growth has been dropping quite significantly due to industrialization. So, if you try to dig the the causes of why the population growth is slowed down. It's basically because,、uh, first of all, the industrialization, urbanization, and also education, and the liberation of the of the you know of women who are able to participate in the labor market and they earn their earnings, so that they don't have to spend much of their time in the house to to give birth to children. So they have more time for their own education, for their for their own career、uh, progression, and so on and so forth. Mm. So on the main, the slowdown of, of population growth is an in,、uh, indication of、uh, human being progression towards industrialization, higher education, and more living standards.、Mm. And the second component is that、uh, people's expectation for life quality have been increasing. In order to increase life quality, I think people have to reduce the number of children in the households. So this、uh, reduces the woman's fertility quite significantly. Mm. So Anna, so Europe's population shrank by over seven hundred and forty thousand in the year twenty twenty, and one point four million last year. And this drop is the most significant fall of any continent since the records began. So why is this happening in Europe?、Uh, developed countries,、uh, as、uh, Professor Young has, has pointed out, they are more interested in lifestyle、uh, freedom,、uh, and that means. And and the, the cost of having a child in a developed country is extremely high as compared to an undeveloped. So、mm-hmm. when you start talking about one、uh, percent less than one percent growth globally, what you're really talking about is a very very different scenario between developed, developing, and developing countries. Whereas developing countries still、uh, the growth rate is late is lower, but it's still significantly high、uh, in terms of the you know what can these countries. Uh, support, whereas in developed nations where they, you know, apparently have a lot of money, they're having less children. 
So, I mean, there's, there's a very complex flow. You, sometimes you see the river flowing. It seems to go in one direction. But the fact is there are many cross currents and even currents that are going against the flow. And this is what it is with population. Mm. Overall, it's not a bad thing to have a, a lesser population growth, especially given the pressure that population growth puts on the environment, uh, on government, uh, etc. So will an aging population necessarily hit the economic growth in Europe, Aina? Why or why not? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, in the majority on this. I do think that uh, population growth uh, slowing is a better thing. It puts less, uh, as I said, pressure on the environment. You don't need as many resources. Uh, there's also this issue, you know, we, we all agree, I haven't heard anyone say, that they disagree that over the next five years, 50% of the jobs that we know will disappear. I mean, already in Shenzhen, they've uh, approved a three-tier structure for self-driving cars. Um, what, you know, what happens when all these drivers and you know, all these people start driving cars, I mean, buses, taxis, uh, Uber, DD? Um, they need to be put someplace. So I think there is a tremendous amount of labor that's available. The question is, how do you train it for the next economy? And I think that is the real question that people have to address rather than being concerned about dropping uh, labor rates. I mean, the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, yet it consumes over 20% of the world's resources on a yearly basis. Mm. So I don't think consumption is necessarily automatically linked in, as it is in many classical models with growing the population. Mm. And Shujie, so some economists are discussing the consequences of an aging or declining population. They believe it could weaken the demand as companies would come into, you know, uh, expect fewer customers and leading to a slowdown in investment, etc., etc. So do you buy into this theory? Well, not necessarily. Um, I think, uh, you know, I again have uh, some point here. Uh, because industry have to change according to uh, the market. If in the future, you know, due to aging, due to our population uh, slowdown or even decline, I think the industry, they have to stop producing something which is not necessary, necessary in the market. Instead, they have to move up the, you know, they have to transform themselves or move up the, you know, the value ladder so that they can, can produce better goods or they can produce alternative goods which better suited to the new demand. So I'm not quite uh, concerned about uh, whether the, the production would, would, you know, would be overproduced because of the population aging or the population slowdown, because uh, the market has to change to mm. adapt to the new situation. Mm. Yeah. So, Aina, so globally, more than a billion people will be over 65 years old in the year 2030. And older people uh, already account for about one quarter of the population in many countries. So how well are we prepared to, you know, cope with the shrinking labor force and the more spending on the pension funds? Well, there's more spending on the pension funds, but just because you're over 65 doesn't mean you stop consuming. Uh, it's just your your pattern of consumption changes. You tend to, tend to spend more on medical and less on uh, different kinds of uh, you know, uh, buying patterns. They're not buying as many clothes, etc. They're not buying as many shoes. So consumption is changing, the market changes, and therefore the economics change. And this is where I completely agree with uh, Professor Young. I mean, we always like to think of things in terms of the norms 
that we have now. But the fact is the world always changes. And this idea that people over 65 stop spending is nonsense. Uh, Actually, they they spend quite a bit more. For instance, in the last uh, six weeks of life, people spend more than half their entire uh, expenditure on health care during those last six weeks. So it changes. It starts going more towards services, less towards goods. But, you know, even within hospitals, they have a lot of machines. Those are goods and those have to be produced. So right now, I think a lot of the assumptions that are made uh, in the past are outdated, and we have to update them in terms of understanding how these markets are changing and how we will respond to them. But in the end, it always comes down to preparing your people for the next economy for the economy that is going to be in the future as opposed to the past. And Shujie, so how do you think, how well are we prepared to cope with the shrinking labor force and the more spending on the pension funds? I have to say we are not, not yet fully aware of the potential challenges because we, we are living in, in today. We don't think of much today, tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. Now, we have to now to learn to how to live in tomorrow and how to live in the day after tomorrow. Uh, make sure that uh, as the population is aging, we have to provide home care for the older people. We have to increase the services of the hospital and also the health care system. We also have to uh, increase the, you know, the insurance uh, for the old age people, retirement and so on and so forth. And the Chinese society is pretty, you know, uh, in you know, segmented in the sense, you know, people living in the city, in the countryside, people have a formal government official job, and people with just an informal job. So that you have to come to the the harsh reality: how you make a huge compromise, how you can gen- generate a national policy which would look up to everyone, and uh, and this is uh, a potential challenges. I think. Uh, some some policymakers have been aware of this, but we how we actually have the policy implemented immediately in the medium term, in the longer term, this would still require some time for uh, you know further thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Yao Shujie, Chongkong Professor of Economics at Chongqing University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.